Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. Good morning and welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. This is Rachel Marshall and Bruce Weiner coming to you with special guest, Dr. Wade Fow. So before I say anything more about the conversation today, I wanted to thank Bruce and Dr. Wade both for being here. Oh, thank you for having having me. <laughs> it's a pleasure. So Rachel, uh, you know, ever since we started this, we were looking at this as an educational and unbiased platform as much as possible. It's hard for humans to keep all their biases out of uh, of their of their of the conversation. But you know, we did we we have had a couple of um, Mike Stanley on a couple of times, who actually is a person that sells reverse mortgages or or Heckums, as they now try to re- re- refer to them as. But Doctor Wade is once again is not somebody that sells these but he has done a lot of research. So I hope people uh, pay attention to a subject that they probably don't think is important to them, but I hope after they listen to Dr. Fowl, they'll, they'll realize that it, is, it, it could be a real important subject down the road. Bruce, I really appreciate you sharing that position and especially that Dr. Fowl, you do not sell reverse mortgages, but so let's kind of just give a broad stroke picture of what we're talking about today. We're talking about reverse mortgages, but really specifically, Dr. Fow has done a lot of research on retirement income. And with that research, he is going to be really discussing the layout of what reverse mortgages do and how you can think about them as a part of, not as a single answer, but really as a part of a responsible retirement income plan. So thinking about how to get the most retirement income, but doing it with the right mindset, not wasting resources, not just using it frivolously, and then wondering why you got in a bad situation. So really reverse mortgages or HECMs, Bruce, as you said, um, home equity conversion mortgages have been growing in popularity. They used to have a lot more of a negative connotation, but they're becoming a little bit more mainstream That doesn't mean, however, you can just use them without having a good strategy. And so today we're going to be talking about what is the strategy for thinking about reverse mortgages in terms of how you responsibly plan and have something that really works for you in the long term so you can enjoy your money and you can really enjoy your life the most. Now, Dr. Fow is a three-time guest on the Money Advantage podcast so far. And so I just want to give you a little bit of background about him before we get started in case you've missed those episodes. So Dr. Wade Fow is PhD, CFA, RICP. He's the program director of retirement income certified professional. Sorry, he's the program director of the retirement income certified professional designation and a professor of retirement income at the American College of Financial Services in King of Prussia, Pennsylvania, as well as the co-director of the college's Center for Retirement Income. In addition, he's also the principal and director for McLean Asset Management and RISA LLC. He holds a doctorate in economics from Princeton University and has published more than 60 peer-reviewed research articles in a wide variety of academic and practitioner journals. 
And most specifically, we know him from hosting the Retirement Researcher website, where he's done a lot of work and published that for people to really understand how to have the best retirement possible. He's a contributor to Forbes, Advisor Perspectives, Journal of Financial Planning, and an expert panelist for the Wall Street Journal. Wade's newest book is Retirement Planning Guidebook, Navigating the Important Decisions for Retirement Success. So kind of with that backstory, today we're zooming in on one particular area, and that is really reverse mortgages. Now, you've written a book called uh, Reverse Mortgages, How to Use Reverse Mortgages to Secure Your Retirement. And so because of all of that background that you have, we just really wanted to lean on your perspective in what reverse mortgages are are all, all about, really, and how to use them responsibly. So again, thanks for being here today. Sure. Yeah, it sounds like a good agenda. (laughs) So can you share first um, just a little bit of how you became interested in retirement research and then how you started looking into reverse mortgages as a piece of that? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, in that regard, I'd always been trying to write this retirement planning guidebook and that's my newest book now. But in the process of writing the chapter on reverse mortgages, that book came out first and that's what the reverse mortgage one looks like. Uh, But I, well, I was interested in retirement income planning. It really just evolved from research I did in grad school looking at, there was a proposal in the early 2000s to privatize part of social security and I was investigating how that might work out in practice. And that's really translated into what I do today in terms of personal retirement planning. But then in that regard, really being able to build a career around this insight that is not fully understood yet in the general population, which is when you're retired, uh, investment risk changes. When you're spending from assets, you're more exposed to investment volatility And so that opens the door to much broader strategies or ways of thinking around retirement. And I didn't really know much about reverse mortgages. I knew it was something I should look at being part of the Retirement Income Certified Professional Program where we do need to be agnostic and look at all the different retirement strategies. Uh, I was invited to a meeting of researchers. John Salter from Texas Tech University invited me to that in, uh, I think it was 2014, And he sent me a stack of articles about reverse mortgages. I read them on the flight to the meeting and became really fascinated that this misunderstood tool that I shared a lot of the misconceptions that the general population has about them. They're still the butt of jokes on late night TV shows and and so forth. But uh, when you really start to look at them as a tool to help manage these retirement risks and to help manage the risk to investments when spending in retirement, I became really fascinated about how this tool can be used in a number of different ways to help contribute to a responsible retirement plan by allowing retirees to, it it is a loan, but to structure the the thinking around when should I spend from my investments and when should I spend from my home equity and and to help coordinate and strategize around that to get a better retirement outcome. So that's really the main idea about it is how can I incorporate home equity into my retirement spending plan? to meet my financial goals and preserve the most assets for legacy at the end as well. So Rachel, let me just kind of emphasize something that Dr. Fowles said. I don't think people quite understand this. So a lot of what's called is just accumulation planning. They're trying to see how they can just accumulate the greatest amount of money possible. 
and they think that if you make the pie bigger, then everything will be solved. But there are different strategies if you look at then income strategies in retirement. And because there's different strategies, then there's also a situation where you would possibly change your accumulation strategy when you're looking at income strategies. And the final thing, Dr. Fow, I think um, you may comment on is that the psychological thing of home ownership has changed because family members are much more mobile, I found in my practice. And so a lot of families will say, I don't even want to deal with, I don't want to even deal with the home. So, so it's, it's a way to actually have a strategy where you don't have to deal with the home at the end so much uh, in a legacy planning situation. Mm-hmm. It's a way to potentially gift the value of the home without actually gifting the home itself. Correct. Mm-hmm. So let's take a look. I love, Bruce, how you brought in that idea of accumulation strategies and then income strategies. So if you're thinking from that vantage point, really, we're talking about whatever you have accumulated at this point, how are you going to use that to the the fullest potential to preserve those assets and to be able to have the most income and enjoy your life. And then Dr. Wade, as you mentioned as well, be able to leave the greatest legacy and gift as many assets as possible. Maybe it's not gifting the physical, you know, studs and and property and, and land of the house and the property itself, but maybe it is the the financial component of that. So let's just kind of back up for a moment. Can you give just kind of a quick overview of what is a reverse mortgage? what it does, and and then why has the um, sentiment about reverse mortgages kind of shifted as we've seen a little bit more um, regulation around them? Mm-hmm. Sure. So so a reverse mortgage, it's a reverse mortgage. It's you uh, borrow from the home and then you don't have to pay back until the end of the loan, which uh, n- now the word, the term HECM, home equity conversion mortgage, that's specifically the program administered through the federal government that does uh, represent about 90% of reverse mortgages. So there are other proprietary options as well, but to keep things more basic, we can <laughs> limit most of our conversation to the home equity conversion mortgage. It was first created in uh, the late 1980s. I don't remember which year the law passed, but I think the first HECMs were issued in 1989. And it's updated in terms of the, the government's always trying to reconfigure the rules around it to make sure it's working as best as possible and, and to improve the program over time. Uh, the most recent major rule change was in 2017. And so that's really where we are today in terms of not much has changed since that time in terms of how the program is structured, how the borrowing works. But it's based on, given your age and interest rates, there's a percentage of the home value up to a, a lending limit uh, each year. And in 2022, that lending limit is $970,800. So that the home could be worth more than that. But if it is worth more than that, the reverse mortgage is based on that amount. Otherwise, it's based on the appraised value of the home. The, the HECM program allows you to have access to a percentage of that. Now that in, uh, the reverse mortgage is the one retirement tool that benefits from low interest rates. <laughs> now that interest rates are starting to creep up, 
the uh, borrowing capacity is going down a little bit. But if mm-hmm. you're in your, say, 60s, you have to be at least 62 to be a borrower. If you're in your 60s, say, you're probably looking at somewhere in the ballpark of a 40% borrowing capacity from the, the reverse mortgage. And that borrowing capacity will then grow over time. After you initiate the loan, you have a line of credit that you can tap into that unlike a traditional home equity line of credit, it can't be frozen or canceled and it actually grows over time. And you can tap into that as needed throughout retirement to cover different expenses, to reduce pressure on having to spend from other resources. And then at the end of retirement or when you leave the home, then the the loan balance becomes due. And if the loan balance, you, you don't give up the title for your home or anything like that. That's one of the misconceptions. It's really hard to overcome. If the home, say, when you're uh, ready to leave the home, say the home is worth $500,000, the, the loan balance is $100,000, you have it working with the lender up to a year to repay the loan balance. If the loan balance is actually worth more than the home because you've maybe borrowed early and then stayed in the home a long time, so maybe the home is worth $500,000, the loan balance is $700,000, it is a non-recourse loan. Uh, you do not have to pay back more than the value of the home. And so that's where you can effectively do a a deed in lieu of foreclosure, turn over the keys to the home and be done with it. And that's kind of that idea of that you don't necessarily are then gifting the the actual physical structure of the home. But by having spent that home equity, that means you could have spent less from your other investment assets, which helps manage that retirement risk. And that's where, when I do the research about this, I, I look at, Uh, trying to meet a spending goal, and then how much is left over at the end, how much being left over is what's left in the investments, plus the value of the home, minus the loan balance due on the reverse mortgage. And when you put those three factors together, that sort of strategically using the reverse mortgage can help to preserve more overall legacy because the benefits to the investment portfolio are greater than the impact, uh, the, the loan balance on the reverse mortgage, including all the, the costs associated with the reverse mortgage. And so that's where starting to think strategically in many different ways, how to incorporate a reverse mortgage. There's, it's just a really interesting uh, phenomenon. And it's what I noticed when I was attending those early meetings, there's a very similar conversation in the reverse mortgage world as in the whole life insurance world of this idea of a volatility buffer or buffer asset, you have this resource that's always going to be growing or at least not decrease in value that you can borrow from strategically to protect your investment portfolio and to help uh, obtain a better outcome. So policy loans from a, a whole life insurance policy to manage investment volatility. There's an, a parallel conversation of <laughs> borrowing from a reverse mortgage to manage investment volatility in retirement. It's another tool to do that. There's so, so many so interesting, go ahead. Yes, just to clarify that, what, what Dr. Fowl is saying is, instead of taking from your security assets um, or equity assets when they are down, is to uh, not take from them, take from a what we call a buffer asset. And that could be a cash account. It could be a cash equivalent account, such as, borrowing from a whole life insurance um, contract, or it could be uh, from your line of credit from your home. So I just want to make sure the the listeners uh, understood that, um, what a buffer asset is. Mm -hmm. 
it's so an the, asset outside the portfolio, not correlated with the portfolio, not losing value in a market downturn that gives you that temporary spending resource. So with that whole idea, there's two things I kind of want to um, think through. So one would be, there's multiple ways to use a reverse mortgage in terms of you can take a set amount of income in every year or a set amount of income for a certain number of years but it sounds like you're talking more about using it as that um, line of credit where you can access it if needed, but not that you're automatically taking a stream of income every single month on a set basis. So I just wanted to clarify, could you talk about that for just a second? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I was describing that second option, the kind of having discretionary power to strategically spend from the line of credit to not spend from a portfolio after losing value. Uh, that is what most of the research is focused on and it's certainly a viable option. But actually, when I looked at the historical kind of simulations in the most recent edition of my book, the what, what you described having that fixed monthly amount, the 10-year payment option, that actually performed really well as an alternative. And that helps to manage risk, not a, precisely in the same way, but there's so many like interesting aspects of spending from a volatile investment portfolio in retirement and how small changes to the strategy can have such a huge impact on the sustainability of the portfolio. If I can just lower my spending rate from the investment portfolio a little bit, that can go a long way towards preserving the portfolio. And that's where that tenure payment option, and that's T-E-N-U-R-E, like a tenured professor, not like 10 years. It's very confusing there. It does. But it the, sounds very similar. Thanks for clarifying that. Yeah, the, the tenure payment option gives you that spending monthly income for as long as you remain eligible for the loan, potentially for as long as you live. And that can offset the need to spend as much from investments and really help to preserve those investment assets. Or you can have the ad hoc line of credit where the strategies are usually centered around, if it seems like my investments are in trouble, which in 2022 right now, there's a lot of interest in reverse mortgages because people may have lost, depending on their asset allocations, you know, 10 or 20% of their investment value at this point. That would then signal, okay, let's spend, we need to spend money. Let's uh, extract that from the reverse mortgage so that we don't have to sell from our portfolio at a loss and to try to give our portfolio more opportunity to recover. And that's a portfolio coordination strategy. That is what most of the research about reverse mortgages has focused on. And that's also the, the parallel conversation that the, the same exact research done in the life insurance world as well. Mm -hmm. So then there's another component of this that you're using, I mean, for all intents and purposes, a lot of people have over time purchased a home. I mean, it's kind of the American dream to buy a home and then you're putting dollars into the four walls of the house by paying down your mortgage. And over time, you usually are going to have some kind of equity buildup in this asset that home equity is not necessarily by itself just sitting there and a liquid asset. It's not something you can just tap into and use whenever. So how does a reverse mortgage or a HECM then take that that illiquid, almost more of a lazy asset where, yes, I have this asset, but it's not accessible to me and it's not doing very much for me. How do I, how does a reverse mortgage take that and put it more into a liquid, usable 
type of asset that I can access. Mm-hmm. And, and that's really the question I look at in the research comparing the, the kind of the default or the conventional wisdom on the reverse mortgage would be don't use it except as a last resort so that I'll spend on my investment assets. If I never run into trouble, I never have to think about a reverse mortgage. But if I get into a situation where I've spent down all of my investment assets, then I'll open the reverse mortgage and spend from that. And so I compare that strategy to other strategies that involve, no, let's go ahead and open the reverse mortgage. If we're, You have to be at least 62, but really as soon as you can in that context, let's open the reverse mortgage, have it set up, have a, the growing line of credit. Or if we're using the 10-year payment option with it, we don't really need to think as much about the growing line of credit. But let's use the reverse mortgage strategically throughout retirement so that we're now spending, covering some of our expenses from home equity, covering less of our expenses from the investment portfolio. And there's many different strategies around that. But then let's look to see how that performs relative to the last resort strategy. And that's where consistently, not 100% of the time, but you know, the odds are really in the favor of this more strategic coordinated reverse mortgage strategy uh, to be able to provide that better financial outcome and in particular to provide better outcomes when financial markets are not doing as well so that mm. that retirement is more at risk. So being able to get that better risk, getting the risk management of the reverse mortgage by incorporating it throughout retirement rather than leaving it as the last resort option. Rachel, as I'm, as I'm listening to Dr. Fowl, I, I, I'm compelled to try to clarify a few more things. Oh, um, please do. Yeah. Yeah. One thing we didn't mention is when you get a reverse mortgage, a lot of people may say, well, I'm getting a loan, so I have to pay it. But but the the loan interest is actually accruing and you don't have a payment. Matter of fact, you get rid of your mortgage payment, actually. So that is a cash flow, a negative cash flow that's not going out. And for people that in my generation that have always, you know, thought about paying the home off and, and one of the reasons they want it is because they... They don't want that negative cash flow going out every month, the baby boom generation. Well, this is a way to solve that even if you have, even if you still have a mortgage payment. You can actually then change it and get a reverse mortgage, eliminate the mortgage payment, and then also either get a line of credit or get another income stream, or you can actually get both. You can actually get a smaller income stream and then a smaller line of credit also. So in that line of credit, when you tap it, you do not have to have a payment. You actually just accrue more interest. Now, the banks don't do this out of the kindness of their hearts. They've done a tremendous amount of research along with the federal department, the HUD departments. They know that in most cases, plus they're going to charge a fee as kind of an insurance against a couple of these bad things happening, that they are not going to lose in this situation. They are going to get paid back at the death of the particular homeowner. The second person, too, we might, we may, uh, we we should talk about that. If it's a couple, it's the death of the second, the second couple, the second member of the yeah <clears throat> member. Yes, and then the other thing, uh, Doctor, can you also just confirm that because you can actually buy a home with a reverse mortgage. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't realize this either. So in our generation, the baby boomer generation that is now downsizing in retirement, 
what I've seen a lot of times is they sell the, they sell the home and they immediately go and they just take some of that asset, that capital and pay cash for the, the downsize home because they don't want a house payment. Well, in this strategy, you could actually set it up. You still don't have a house payment, but now you have the capital to actually invest in other things to produce more cash flow. So you actually get the best of both worlds. No, no house payment, and you get to keep your capital to invest to help generate more retirement income. So could you uh, talk a little bit about that strategy, doctor? Yeah. So, I mean, on the first point, more and more Americans are carrying traditional mortgages into retirement. That is the most popular use of the reverse mortgage is instead of having this large fixed expense in the early retirement years, which is creating more pressure on the investment portfolio to pay those mortgage payments, you just refinance that into the reverse mortgage. And then, as you said, it takes away those fixed mortgage payments from those early retirement years and pushes that issue to the end of retirement, where it's, again, the non-recourse loan, but then the loan balance accrues and then you pay off the loan at the end. And then also the HECM for Purchase program, that's where you purchase a home using the reverse mortgage. That is still, um, I think, somewhere in the neighborhood of 5 to 10% of new HECM, and probably closer to 5% of new HECM issuances are for this HECM for Purchase. But indeed, it's another... Uh, opportunity to look at if you're purchasing a home in retirement. I've looked at simulations comparing, you could pay cash for the home, which takes a lot out of the investment portfolio to then put more pressure on investments to cover other expenses. You could take a traditional mortgage to, for that home if it's feasible, or you could use a reverse mortgage to, it requires cash to cover the rest, but you have then this chunk of the payment for the home covered through the reverse mortgage. And that chunk may be, again, depending on interest rates and ages, somewhere in the ballpark of 40% of that home cost could be covered through the reverse mortgage. And then you just allow that uh, loan balance to accrue over time. But uh, you have those different options. And generally that Heckam for purchase approach performs quite well relative to paying cash for a home or taking out a traditional mortgage for a home. So for clarity purposes, could you give an example of maybe a purchase price of a home, the amount of equity? I mean, maybe for instance, I don't know if these numbers would work, but say you're going to purchase a $200,000 home. You've got $100,000 of equity from the home you just sold. How would a Heckam for purchase work in that situation or or could it work? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in that scenario, it sounds like you're kind of I'm not sure if you're upsized, you know, you still had a big mortgage balance, but you you could take that $100,000 that you just received from selling the previous home, uh, put that towards a new home, also use the HECM for purchase. If the home is $200,000, unless you're older, and I don't ha- have to look at the tables to, to see exact numbers, but that might not be enough. The $100,000 may not be enough because that would be 50% that you need from the reverse mortgage, which if interest rates are going up, you may not get quite that far, but it may be something like, and I'm making these numbers up right now, the reverse mortgage might cover $80,000 of the home value. Mm -hmm. So if you can come up with the other $120,000, you would then be able to use the HECM for purchase to get that $200,000 home. And meaning that you would not have a mortgage due on the new home that you're purchasing? 
Well, you, you right. You would not have a traditional mortgage. You would then have that $80,000 that you borrowed through the reverse mortgage would accumulate interest over time. And then if you decide to move or leave the home and that loan balance is still less than whatever the home is worth at that time, pay off the loan balance and then the, the rest of that home value is available. Otherwise, if the loan balance is greater than the value of the home, and that's the, there's cost to the reverse mortgage. So one of those is insurance premiums that provide this protection to the homeowner that they are not responsible for covering more than the appraised value or 95% of the appraised value of the home mm. uh, to go towards uh, repaying any loan balance due on the reverse mortgage. So you can okay. just hand over the keys and be done with the, the matter or your, your beneficiaries or heirs, wherever the scenario may be there. <laughs> so then you mentioned as well. So if you're back to the, the Heckam, the, the, the regular reverse mortgage. I don't know how to differentiate that from the one we were just talking about for purchase. Heckam uh, for purchase or just a Heckam? It, okay. it is right. It's just a, it's also a Heckam. It was just structured to avoid people were wanting to do this concept. They'd have to first take a traditional mortgage and then refinance oh. that into a reverse mortgage in two steps. So the Heckam for purchase was developed as a way to just automatically get to the Heckam. Okay. It's still a Heckam. Okay. So back to the regular way of using a Heckam, you mentioned if you were in your early 60s, you could probably borrow at least 40% or about 40%. Does that amount of borrowing increase the older you get? And then can you kind of talk about reasons why you would want to secure or take out the Heckam early versus waiting until the last resort? Mm -hmm. Right. So it's the borrowing capacity is based on age and interest rates. If you're older, you get a higher borrowing capacity. And if interest rates are lower, you get a higher borrowing capacity. And the interest rate factor is a lot more important. So that say, if interest rates are going to be 1% higher in the future, you'd have to be a lot older before you get back to the same borrowing capacity as otherwise. So if you wait to open the reverse mortgage, you would expect to have a higher borrowing capacity because you're older and also hopefully because your home is appreciating over time. So then you're applying that percentage to a higher home value in the future. But if you open it today, you have this growing line of credit idea. And this is the really kind of secret sauce of the HECM. It, it's really not intuitive other than I think when the government designed the program, they assumed people would open the reverse mortgages and borrow from them. So what you would have this principal limit from the reverse mortgage would be a loan balance that's growing over time. The interesting strategy is you can open the reverse mortgage and you do have to maintain a minimal balance of, it depends on the situation, but maybe 50 or $100 as a loan balance to keep it open. But otherwise, the rest of that borrowing capacity can be the line of credit. And that line of credit grows at the same rate the loan balance would be growing. And doing the simulations, I, in the most recent third edition of the book, I switched to looking at these rolling historical periods. So I look at US market data with home prices. We have that going back to 1890. So I kind of pretend, pretend today's rules existed in the past and you had this different market environment starting in 1890, starting in 1891 and so on. About 60 to 80% of the time, your borrowing capacity would be greater in the future if you opened it sooner and let it grow versus waiting till later to open it. 
And in these scenarios, the 20 to 40% of the time where that doesn't happen, if you opened it sooner, you can refinance. And that's mm. very, in the last couple of years, refinances have been really popular because home prices are growing so quickly and because interest rates kept getting lower and lower. Now that trend is reversing. But if, if interest rates are getting lower and my home price is increasing, well, maybe I could get a higher borrowing capacity by waiting. But then all I simply have to do is refinance. And that gives me access to that higher borrowing capacity. So it's kind of the, a win-win situation type there where go ahead and open it sooner. You're probably going to be better off. And if you're not, you can always refinance to take advantage of the opportunity that presented itself. I love that you shared um, on your website as you were talking about the, kind of the introduction to this concept that you said, basically, if you're not going to have uh, some kind of a um, strategy around the temptation of using all the money early just because you have access to it, then it's a bad strategy for you. Can you just kind of talk about the, the mindset that you need in order to create this pool of capital available to be able to be used and then have the forbearance or the restraint to be able to use it wisely and how that is a necessary component of using a reverse mortgage well? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I try to always emphasize using it as part of a responsible retirement plan because the, the great advantage of the reverse mortgage is it creates liquidity for an otherwise illiquid asset. It lets you spend from your home equity when you otherwise would not be able to do that. Well, for individuals who can't manage that opportunity in a wise manner, they may be better off not having access to that home equity because they might spend it in kind of a frivolous way or in an irresponsible way. And, and so in that case, maybe for the psychological reasons of they just, if they, if you're tempted to spend it because it's there, uh, you maybe want to hold off and try to prevent yourself from getting into that situation. Uh, if you can manage the, the responsibility of having all these funds available, but not just spending them because you can. That's really the kind of scenario where the reverse mortgage can, can have the most positive impact. I love that you're sharing how this tool is a piece. It's not one thing that solves everything. It's really a part of a coordinated systematic strategy for being able to solve a lot of things. I mean, you're, you're wanting to solve, how do I preserve capital? How do I have the most income? How do I not have to dip into my um, my investment assets? How do I maintain those so that they can grow as much as possible? How do I use my illiquid asset of the, the equity in the home well? How do I leave the biggest legacy? And to be able to solve all of these things, you're sharing this is a, a strategy of using a home equity conversion mortgage, I think I'm saying that correctly, to be able to do all of that more efficiently. And I really like that you're kind of um, disbanding that apprehension that a lot of people have with saying, well, reverse mortgage, I've heard bad things about that. What is the negative misconception about reverse mortgages and how does this um, better knowledge really inform us to, to be able to make wise decisions and not just be afraid of a reverse mortgage. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And ultimately, like for the typical American household, half to two thirds of their net worth might be in their home. And, and so just not being able to coordinate with that, you can see how having that coordination can help. Uh, there are a number of negative misconceptions and, and some of them have really been solved, but it's, I mean, the first misconception is people feel like the bank is taking the title of their home or they, they somehow give up their home by signing the reverse mortgage contract. And that's never been true. And it's not true, but it is probably the number one misconception around the re reverse mortgage. If I open a reverse mortgage and I only have a loan balance of $50,000 and the home is worth $500,000, I pay off the $50,000 and I keep my home. It's, you don't lose the title to the home. So that's the biggest misconception. Uh, probably like the next thing that comes up quite a bit would be this idea that reverse mortgages are expensive and they can certainly appear expensive. There's certainly some sticker shock involved. That was one of the major changes of the 2017 reforms was to increase the initial mortgage insurance premiums that provide that protections uh, around mm. It can't be frozen or canceled. It's non-recourse. The, the borrower doesn't have to pay back more than the home is worth. But that, that mortgage insurance premium is 2% of the home value. So when you set up a reverse mortgage, if you have, say, a $500,000 house, it's not inconceivable that between the mortgage insurance premiums and the origination fee and other mortgage closing costs, it could be up to, like say, $20,000 to set up the reverse mortgage. Now, pre-2017, uh, lenders had a lot more room to actually credit some of those costs. And so mm -hmm. you even heard about the $125 reverse mortgage, which was the paying for the counseling fee that's required so that the borrower understands how the reverse mortgage works, but the lender credited everything else. That's not possible since 2017. And so, and when I do the, the research, I do incorporate the full costs which again, it could be $20,000 to set up the reverse mortgage. Now that can, most of that, like except for the mortgage uh, counseling fee or the, the counseling fee can be uh, financed within the loan so that it's not being paid out of pocket and becomes part of the loan balance. But that $20,000 kind of upfront cost that you might be looking at, and if the home is worth less, it might be less than that. It's probably not really going to be much more than that, although it could be a little bit more, but that can, can scare people away. And that's where it's important to emphasize when I look at all these different ways of using a reverse mortgage, I do incorporate all those costs. And so when I say that, that opening the reverse mortgage earlier and, and using it strategically gives you a better outcome, that is a better outcome net of that cost mm. that, that is, is part of the loan. And that, that's a, it's not a misconception. It's just a, <laughs> kind of a, a sticker shock that when people see that, they get scared away and don't have that opportunity to fully appreciate how the benefits to the investments can, can overcome the, the costs involved. And one of the reasons it's, it's better is the 2% is based upon home value. So if you do it earlier in your life and homes traditionally appreciate in value, then the cost will be will be less when you're 62 than presumably when you're 75 and home values have gone up. So that's one thing to consider. The other thing I think when people are looking at this because of sticker shock, Dr. Fowl, 
you know, you said, hey, maybe it's $20,000, but I've read your research. I've done our sequence of return risk. That $20,000 is nothing when it comes to what you could lose in your, your investment portfolio because you're harvesting it in a down year. Mm-hmm. And you could lose that very quickly. Well, you could lose. And a $500,000 portfolio, I've seen the Monte Carlo simulations where in a 12-year period, you could lose all but $75,000 of that $500,000 portfolio as you're taking money off of it. Where if you do a buffer asset or a volatility asset, you might only lose $125,000. And so when you look at it like that, then suddenly that $20,000 is a very small fee to pay compared to what you, you could use in a sequence of return risk in your investment portfolio. Right, right. And that's kind of the, the important point is, is a reverse mortgage expensive if it allows you to have, and just making up numbers, <laughs> a legacy at the end of $1.3 million instead of $800,000? Mm-hmm. No, then it's more like not using it had a cost of $500,000. Mm-hmm. And that's how I think people should be thinking about it. But it is just the, uh, the shock of that upfront cost that, that becomes a tough hurdle to overcome. I think that was probably one of the most valuable parts of the conversation because it can be so easy in any area of our life to make a huge decision based on one factor. We hear, oh, it's, there's a big cost. Okay, well, yes, but what is the big picture? What am I avoiding? What am I gaining? That's really the, the true conversation about our minds sometimes, especially in areas that we don't understand very well. It can be really easy to pull out one tiny detail and mm-hmm. say, oh, well, there's a, a high cost, therefore it must be bad. Oh, there's a high interest rate. Therefore, it must be bad. Oh, it's called a loan. Therefore, it must be bad. And our our I think our brain just makes shortcuts because we're we try to connect to things we already know. We are wired, I think, to avoid challenges and risk, and we don't want to lose money. And we want to be in a situation where we think we're making the best decision. But when we're making it on one factor, when we should be looking at the big picture, that can really get us into a difficult and challenging position. So that was really valuable. Don't just look at the cost. Look at what you could, the cost that you could have if you didn't do this. So um, there are two things I want to cover before. Well, one thing I want to cover, which is a listener question before we leave and before we kind of pivot to talking about your book that opens up more in-depth information on this. So we have a question here from Tom B on YouTube. If you're already 62, should you wait for your spouse to turn 62 before getting a Heckam? And so can you take that into consideration? Let's answer the question directly. But then I also would like you to talk about what um, benefits, responsibilities, what's the experience of the non-borrowing spouse? in mm-hmm. a HECM. Right. And, and that's an important point too, because that was the, the non-borrowing spousal protections came into play 2014 or 2015. I don't remember the exact timing, but before that, if you had one spouse over 62, one spouse under 62, uh, you had to effectively either take that younger spouse off title or something. And then if something happened to the older spouse, such as dying, uh, then the loan balance became due and that other spouse was not protected. Mm. So they changed the rules to create this idea of an, a non, an eligible non-borrowing spouse. And an eligible non-borrowing spouse is someone who would be under 62 when the loan is initiated, who's not a borrower, but who is protected to stay in the home. Now, the loan balance will still accrue interest, but and they can't extract anything from it. 
but at least they won't have to repay the loan balance if something happened to the borrower. Now for the question, so that's common situation, one spouse is over 62, one spouse is under 62. It, how many years are we talking about? Like if it's just another year or two, I would generally suggest waiting until both people could classify as being borrowers because they're both 62. If there's a major age difference, then it's a tougher situation. You might want to go ahead. And, and Texas does not have the non-borrowing spouse protections, but I believe every other state has that uh, eligible non-borrowing spouse protected. They're just not a borrower. So there is the downside is they can't take funds from the home, but they are protected to stay in the home. And that's where, again, if it's just a, a small difference in ages, it's probably worth waiting until both people are 62. If there's a bigger difference in ages, it does become more of a toss-up about what to do. You might want to go ahead and, and make sure you do have the, the younger spouse is eligible to be protected in that way. So then a follow-up question on that specific idea. So what if now I wait and both spouses are over age 62? Does one person take the loan? Do they Can they take the loan, loan together jointly? How does that work? Mm -hmm. Yeah, they would be able to jointly take out the loan together. And their borrowing capacity is always based on the age of the younger person. Mm, okay. And then so meaning if both are over 62 and they're joint on the HECM, then there would be the income or the access to the line of credit both should be are protected then for the for both spouses correct mm -hmm. until they both left the home or not maintain homeowner obligations such as property taxes or basic home maintenance but yes okay, they're so both eligible borrowers and and it's until the, the last of them leaves that the loan balance becomes due Okay, so say both spouses then go to uh, an assisted living facility or move in with their son or daughter, then at that point, the reverse mortgage is due, correct? Mm -hmm. And then there can be up to a year to coordinate the repayment, whether that is by selling the home or if someone else wants to keep the home, like children, for example, they could refinance into a traditional mortgage to pay off the, the reverse mortgage. But yes, if both of those spouses move to assisted living or something like they, they move somewhere else on a more permanent basis, then yes, that would be triggering the, the loan balance to become due. Okay. All right. So we have a little bit of time left before we need to wrap. Is there anything that you find really uh, a, t a challenging, tough sticking point for people in terms of understanding reverse mortgages that we haven't? covered, something that you feel is really important that you wish you could share with people who are wanting to preserve their assets and leave a bigger legacy and have the access to income as well? Well, yeah, maybe just as part of those misconceptions, I always kind of hear this idea of the children, if you get a reverse mortgage, your kids will be unhappy or wanting to give the home as the legacy asset or something along those lines. And it, it's really just a matter of, partly for a more constrained retiree, when you see a negative media story about a reverse mortgage, it might have been in the context of children saying, oh, I thought I was going to get this home as an inheritance and my parents spent it on a reverse mortgage. Well, in that scenario, it's the parents' money. They, if they wanted to spend it on their own retirement, really, we should look from their perspective. Mm -hmm. But in a scenario where there is a legacy, that's where... The kids don't necessarily want the home. And, and that's where if I 
they have a $400,000 loan balance with the reverse mortgage, but due to this ability to coordinate some spending from that, my investment portfolio is $700,000 larger than it would otherwise be. That's where we don't have to feel bad that there's this loan balance due because you pay off that loan balance and you have a net windfall in that example of $300,000. And that's really kind of the way to think about it. It's not this idea of just giving the home as an inheritance. It's giving the value of the home as the inheritance. And, and that's where by being strategic, you can do that and also provide even more. And that's really what all the different efforts to create research in this area point to. And it's all based on this ability to better manage the risk around the investment portfolio by coordinating spending from that with spending from the reverse mortgage. Bruce, did you have any... Well, I think the final thought, what the final thoughts are is that I don't think that this is um, hard, but it's not simple. You know, it's, it's, you have to rethink your thinking on this. Once you get it, you have this aha moment, you understand that it's, there's no real catch to this. It's just the way a, any other uh, loan works, but there's protections involved. But it is, in order to coordinate it with your other retirement plans, you need to really seek out your financial professional and sit down with them and talk to them about doing this. I don't think there's a lot of, of financial professionals, even though this is becoming more and more mainstream, Dr. Fowl, I don't think a lot of professionals are actually thinking this way. And it would make, and frankly, it would make their job easier because it would make their clients much more successful. In this, in this situation. So I would encourage people to, to reach out to their financial professionals. And um, you have to be certified um, uh, Heckam Loan Specialist. Now it's a, it's a cert- separate certification. So you know people actually know what they're doing too. It's not just somebody that does regular mortgages. You have to go through a training. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, not a training program. You have to go through an educational program as the borrowers. So there's there's a lot of things that are put in place now that make things very appealing for a person to tap into their home equity to have a more successful retirement. Mm-hmm. Yes. And with that being said, if you are working with the Money Advantage, we have ways that we can connect you with the right people to be able to make sure that you have all the information to look at things from multiple angles and make sure that you are getting the best strategy that's going to allow you to do the most today and in the future. Now, um, Dr. Wade, can you go ahead and share with us, you've written a book that really dives deeper into this. You shared that at the beginning and it's called Reverse Mortgages, How to Use Reverse Mortgages to Secure Your Retirement. I think you mentioned in some of your introductory material that it really helps you to understand more effectively how does this line of credit and the principal balance grow with your reverse mortgage? How is that possible? And how do we think about that? How do we um, think correctly to avoid the misconceptions and be able to uh, protect ourselves, almost shield ourselves from the negative um, misinformation or... or um, negative perspective of what reverse mortgages are and really be able to fully understand. So can you talk about your book briefly? What what have you um, included in the book and what does this answer for somebody who has questions? Sure, sure. And so the, 
in March, I came out with the third edition. The first edition was in 2016. And then I had to do a second edition with that major rule change in 2017. Mm. Uh, with this one, there's no major rule changes. So the, the second edition, if you already had a copy of that, that would be fine. But third edition, I take a different perspective of analyzing with historical data instead of what's known as Monte Carlo simulations that is usually used to study reverse mortgages and just show how it works, how different strategies work and so forth. And then in the retirement planning guidebook, I summarize that reverse mortgage discussion in 10 pages. If you are, and then this book is much thicker though, <laughs> to cover all that. the different That's aspects. That's a lot of work in that book. <laughs> right, right. To, to cover all the different aspects of retirement plans. So depending on your interest, if you just want a brief overview and, and want to look for more on retirement generally, the retirement planning guidebook might be the way to go. But if you do want to do that deeper dive into reverse mortgages, I do have a book on that as well. Or if you want to work with a professional who understands this and not have to read the books yourself, then you should come talk to Bruce, right? <laughs> Another option. <laughs> um, all right. So thank you for being with us and sharing all of your insight and knowledge today. It's fascinating to talk with you. And in in the multiple conversations, this being the third that we've had you on the show, I'm just fascinated not only with your knowledge, but how you connect the dots for somebody who really is asking these questions. And you you make sure that the questions that are on their mind are answered in a logical way that helps them understand the benefit and understand the the risk or the pros and the cons is probably a better way of saying that and really be able to think through how this will work for them. So I just, I really appreciate your clear and forthright communication and just the volume of study that you have done to really be able to inform yourself on how these work and how they work effectively together as a responsible retirement plan. So, Thank you. So please go to retirementresearcher.com. You can also find Dr. Wade's books on Amazon. Are they all on Amazon? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. I knew that your reverse mortgage one was. Um, so you can find them on Amazon. You can also look at retirementresearcher.com. If you're looking up Dr. Wade Fow, it's Wade and then P-F-A-U. So mm -hmm. that is the spelling of his last name, just so that you can find him more effectively. And thank you so much again for being with us on this conversation. Thank you for doing the research, communicating about it, and helping us to just share education that helps people make decisions. Absolutely. Thank you. Awesome. Well, thank you for being with us today on the show. If you have questions, I'm going to give you a couple of options to get those questions answered. One, you can comment wherever you're watching this video. If you're on YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, I think that's all of our locations that the video is going to be published. Go ahead and comment below the video. If you like this content and want to hear more, please go ahead and like, please subscribe. And if you are listening later, and you want information, you can go ahead and email us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com. You can also, if you're hearing information today about reverse mortgages and, and coordinating your strategy for financial success, you can just go ahead and book a call with our advisor team and find out how to maximize your money so that it can accomplish your goals and do the most for you. And that's kind of a way to skip ahead in line if you have questions that are specifically related to your situation and you wanna say, I want to figure out how to do this well for myself. Go ahead and you can book that call at themoneyadvantage.com. There's a link for our calendar right on the on the front homepage. Thank you so much for being with us today. And please remember that success leaves clues.
So model the successful few, not the crowd, and build a life and business you love. Discover the secret of how to earn a return on the same money in two places at the same time so that you can strengthen your investment returns. We've created a free guide for you that explains the top three things every investor needs their privatized banking system to do. Go to themoneyadvantage.com slash banking, put in your name and primary email address, click the send my free guide button right now, and we'll see you on the inside. Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on themoneyadvantage.com. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. If you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast, we encourage you to reach out to us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com or check us out at themoneyadvantage.com. The opinions and views expressed here are for informational purposes only. This material is educational in nature and should not be deemed as a solicitation of any specific product or service. All investments involve risk and a potential loss of principal. Kalos Capital Incorporated nor Kalos Management Incorporated offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax advisor or attorney for advice regarding the impact on your portfolio. Securities offered through Kalos Capital Incorporated member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB, and investment advisory services offered through Kalos Management Incorporated and registered investment advisor, both located at 11525 Parkwood Circle, Alpharetta, Georgia. E3 Consultants Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Kalos Capital Incorporated or Kalos Management Incorporated.